0: Welcome to the InsurTech Leadership Podcast, hosted by Josh Hollander, where we speak with leaders from some of the most exciting and promising insuretechs about the most important industry and financial services in its most critical decade. Today's guest is the extremely talented and energetic Phil Reynolds, CEO of BrightCore Technologies. What we most enjoyed about Phil's story is the way that he bootstrapped his company, but then also realized that wasn't enough to get to the next level. How he took the company fully remote four years ago, long before COVID was invented, and then created an employee engagement and culture that sought out talent from all corners of the globe on a virtual remote basis to find access to talent because this InsurTech is not based in New York, London, Hartford or San Francisco. It's based in Missouri. We recognized that problem very early on. And so we went and we started hiring. We started hiring globally when we hire. We will pay for the top spot.
1: Okay, I'm pleased to be here today with Phil Reynolds. He is the CEO and owner of BrightCore. Welcome, Phil. Thank you
0: very much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: So, Phil, let's jump into it. I know you're a busy guy, so... Could you just start out sharing a bit about your background and your entrepreneurial experience and kind of how it led you to where you are today?
0: Yes, sir. So um, co-founder and I started the company back in 2005. We were approached by a a small local mutual insurance company and asked to build a quoting system for agents. We were doing some web development at the time. That project went went pretty well, and a group of their friends called us, and we rapidly uh, quit our day jobs and started a company doing web-based quoting systems for regional mutual insurance companies, again, back in the the mid-2000s. That that went well for several years. A group of our customers that were happy quoting customers approached us and asked us if we'd be willing to build the full administration suite behind the scenes because they felt like their quoting systems were significantly ahead of their administration systems. And so a group of six mutual insurance companies got together, put together enough operating capital for us to get going. And we built the first version of BrightCore from 2009 to 2011. And at this point, we are um, at around 70 customers. And we have expanded significantly, both geographically and in the nature of the business, are, are growing quickly and have done several capital raises. And so we are, the company's just really taken off and continued to accelerate since that initial launch in 2011. So I'm just almost a decade right now into into managing on the backside of that initial build of the very first generation of Brightcore.
1: I think one of the things that's really interesting about your company, and, you know, initially it was run sort of in a bootstrapped way. Then, you know, a fundamental shift was made to bring on more significant external capital. Maybe you could talk about what drove that decision, but then what that's either done for you or maybe even what challenges it presents for you.
0: Um, What originally uh, drove us that direction was we were bootstrapped, funded on positive cash flow from the very beginning of our company. We had to be profitable every month um, because we did not have a big private equity partner who had injected a lot of capital. So we, we had to generate an operating profit all the time. That was a really successful model to get us through our first two generations of sort of the web services because the needs we were trying to target were had high overlap with the needs of our existing customer base. Where that model um, was insufficient was when we started um, receiving a lot of inbound sales requests and inquiries from very, very large insurers that did not look like our early customer base. And so we stayed with that for a little bit, didn't do anything about it until the demand for our services upmarket was sufficient that we realized, look, that there, there's there's a, a certain ROI in this. If we just make the investment, and that's when we made the decision to do a series A and a series B capital raise. When I went to the capital markets, and I did want to make sure I selected the right partner, and there's a lot of firms out there, and a lot of them are not a good fit for Brightcore. I wanted wanted to find the right capital partners, and I'm very happy with the partners we selected. Part of that was me presenting the vision of not just what I wanted to build with the product, but also what I wanted to build with the organization. And here's how we get there.
1: In, in terms of your approach to kind of hiring at speed, integrating people into the organization to support the growth goals, and then what, you know, COVID has done and maybe how you've had to change or if there's any particular core principles you've made sure to stick to, um, can you maybe address address that too?
0: I made the decision prior to COVID, about four years prior to COVID, to take our company fully remote. And I did that for a variety of reasons that I actually have a whole series of presentations I've given on the advantages to remote. Um, but remote can be a fantastic asset if you are aware of what it does well and what it does poorly, and you manage for for the weaknesses, manage for the liabilities and lean into the strengths. Um, so about four years prior, we made that decision. Um, and the way I made that decision was I, I spent three or four months talking about it with everybody uh make sure it's the right decision and i spent three or four months messaging it so about a about a six-month window this is where we're heading and i gave a date on my calendar and sent a message out to the entire company repeatedly on a series that said on this day i'm going to walk into my office i'm going to turn my light out i'm going to leave the building and i'm never coming back unless there's a sales meeting in the building and i did that's exactly what happened and i never walked back in the point of that and, and the thing that i really encourage people to do as people are embracing remote suddenly is that that A remote culture has to be intentional, has to be driven by the leadership team. It has to be true that the real decisions are made in a remote fashion. I think the biggest downfall I've seen companies run into when they try to go remote is they don't get buy-in across the organization or they don't put the processes in place. And so there is still some advantage to showing up and sitting in a room and saying words to somebody and drawing on the physical whiteboard in the room. And if that's where the real decisions get made, guess what? Being remote is a huge liability. It's going to fail. Then, of course, you have to manage for things. And there's a lot of articles being written about this right now, about people being stuck in their house and depression and those kinds of things. And so we have programs in place at BrightCore to try to help with those things all the way down to, to you know, fire up a Zoom and have like a game night or just all have a beer together or like watch a movie. And uh, we have a, a hobby music channel and everybody who plays an instrument is constantly recording videos of themselves and posting it up there. It's been really fun, um, you know, a good example of how that can really work well and drive culture. Somebody will post something, and then I'll grab it or someone else will grab it, throw a clip track behind it, and add another instrument. And somebody else will drop on another instrument, and we'll end up with a whole produced song, a bright core band song. that just completely evolved organically, but then you feel really close to those people. The major benefit I see on the backside of sort of this this world that a lot of companies have been thrust into, you have to migrate to a world where everything is managed through very, very clear – we use OKRs. We use the official OKR, Subjective Key Results System, um, where the expectations are very clear. What you're going to measure on the back side of those expectations is very, very clear. And then the measurement systems exist, are in place, are automated, are audited, are reviewed. You manage to explicit expectations. That's that is both a corporate maturity thing. But it also generates a really positive culture in your company and a lot of forward momentum because everyone in your company understands exactly what is expected of them and they know whether they're succeeding or failing. Uh, But you have to be very intentional and you you can't drop any of those balls or the whole thing fails.
1: So, is is there a difference of managing to expectations versus managing to outcomes? What I mean by that is
0: making it clear to your staff absolutely outcome oriented. But, but letting them know ahead of time what you mean by that because i can't go to the engineers and say hey we're going to grow 10% next quarter they can't do anything to affect that that is too many abstraction layers away from their job and so yes we're going to manage the team at the executive level we all sit down and look at our actual you know what is our growth rate did we accelerate at the rate that we thought we manage those things we care those outcomes but at the i think a lot of senior managers especially ceo level level types like myself We get used to thinking about the business in those terms and forget that that, like a support engineer doesn't know how to affect that. And so we've implemented OKRs in a hierarchical structure where we have you know company OKRs that go to divisional OKRs that go to team OKRs that go down to individual OKRs. So that each individual um, employee can say, oh, this month I've been asked to do the following things. I'm going to close, you know, 18 customer tickets with a customer satisfaction rate of 95 or above, which I think they can control, thing they can influence. But they can see in the tracking system that rolls up to this objective, which rolls up to this objective, which ultimately rolls up to our objective of, you know, an NPS score of positive 50 or higher. And so, so that's what I mean by that it is, yes, expectations and outcomes and setting, making that clear ahead of time what you're
1: going to be measuring and why. Anything in particular that you see as a benefit of working remote?
0: I mean, the, the, the two big ones. The reason we originally did it was access to talent. Um, so our company was founded in southwest Missouri. Uh, Missouri is not a particular hotbed of the world's like greatest engineering. We have some great engineers that live in the Missouri area. Um, but you're not likely going to scale a company to many thousands of engineers and have all, all superstars that are all housed in Missouri. Mm -hmm. We recognized that problem very early on. And so we went and we started hiring. We started hiring globally when we hire. We will pay for the top spot, which is fairly expensive to do. But our job uh, application is not a, hey, send us your resume. It's a, hey, here's a project. Go do this project if you think you're good. If you think you're really good and you think you're really great. We had over 150 who sent us fully completed, fully formed projects with working code deployed to AWS, test suites running. And out of those, we were able to select um, four candidates that we wanted to directly interview. And only one of them lives in the US. When the world is your uh, potential talent pool, there's a very real good you do in the world in my view. So for example, um, one of the engineers we hired recently um, was formerly a refugee and uh, had been living in refugee camp got a coding accelerator, taught herself to code, uh, did a great job, sent us a fantastic project. We brought her in. She makes more than anyone she knows by 20 fold now. Right. Because we pay her US rates because she's a great engineer. Brightcore gets the benefit of this tremendously talented person we've never met. She gets the benefit of a very stable economic, you know, incentive and a job she can provide for her family. And everyone wins in that deal. And so, I mean, I think that's just one of the examples of where where this whole remote work, embracing the new way of thinking and a more global talent pool, can be just a tremendous good for for everyone. And so, yeah, I, I I feel really honored to be a part of that and to be able to participate in that.
1: All right, great. Well, I think that's some valuable insight and very impressive. You know, for a company at, at, at your stage, I know on one level you've been at it for. 59 years now on another level you've been doing it in a different way for a short period of time relatively <laughs> short period of time so it's true it's, it's almost like two different companies in a way and so it's definitely impressive the way you've been able to make that shift and the progress you've made so is there anything else that maybe i didn't hit on or anything else you'd want to sort of share with the audience before we wrap up um only that i i'm
0: you know enjoy talking about these topics and something i'm really passionate about you probably tell that when you hear me talk um and so you know if there's any ever if anyone in your audience is ever interested in just sort of um collaborating about some of the thornier topics in you know remote work and team scaling and working with capital partners all the things that, that sort of we've gone through i'm always more than happy to talk and visit with someone
1: all right great well uh Phil Reynolds, CEO and owner of Brightcore. It has been a pleasure talking to you and yes, your passion does come through and you know, congratulations on what you've achieved to date and wish you best of luck going forward.
0: Thank you very much and thanks for having me today.